we live in an age of entitlement in which we're very aware for many good reasons of our rights. And as we've been going through this series on relationships, one of the things that has become abundantly clear is that relationships work best when the focus is not on what I can get, but on what I can give. And so when it comes to sex, how do we have a healthy perspective on it? That's what we're thinking about this morning. And if this morning was a film, it would be a 15-rated film. I was on the uh, B, B, whatever it is, British Film Institute website to find out what the classifications were. This is what it said about a 15-rated film. This, the classification means sexual activity and nudity may be portrayed, but without strong detail. The depiction of casual sex should be handled responsibly. There may be occasional strong verbal references to sexual behavior. Just a bit of a warning, therefore. It's not so, so graphic this morning. We're not 18 rated, but we are going to be talking about some important and some perhaps frank things. And as we get into this morning, uh, I want to show you a cartoon that I find very funny. Here it is on the screen. Hopefully at home you can see it too. It's from New Yorker magazine. And it's a man giving a woman a bunch of flowers, both with their thought bubbles around what's behind these flowers. And the woman has flowers, dates, romance, proposal, marriage, honeymoon, snuggle, kiss, pregnancy, and so on and so on. And the man has nothing and except sex. There are loads of stereotypes in this cartoon, particularly around gender, that perhaps may not be actually very helpful. But what this cartoon does highlight, I think, helpfully, is a reality that we all know, that for all of us as individuals, the subject of sex means different things for all of us. There's all sorts of stuff that accompanies it for us. Whether single, married, used to be married, wish to be married, what we think about sex will differ between us all. The importance of it, the experience we have of it, the hopes and dreams, the regrets are very real for all of us and are very varied. And I'm aware that as we get into it this morning, there is probably a lot of pain both here in the room and for you at home. Sex is such an intimate and personal thing. The emotions, the desire, the trauma, the unfulfilled hopes and expectations, the experiences we have are huge and varied. There is much brokenness and sadness within us all. And to set the context, a verse of scripture came to my mind as I was preparing. Here it is from the book of Isaiah, where the prophet talks about, as it were, prophesying what God would say. And this is who God is. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is crushed and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the crushed. My hope is that whoever we are this morning, wherever we're at in our relationship with God, whether we're exploring, we've got a million questions, or we've been a follower of Jesus for decades, that we'll all discover grace and hope this morning. 
that we'll all discover something of the life-giving perspective of the Bible on sex, which I want to suggest is truly sex-positive in the best possible sense of those words. And we're revisiting a passage of the Bible that we looked at a few weeks ago when we looked at marriage and singleness. 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to read some verses. Here they are on the screen. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 7. Paul writes this to a church in modern-day Greece. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It seems to be that the church in that context was sort of saying, Paul, now that we've become followers of Jesus, do we have to dismiss our relationships? Should we abstain from sex for those that are married? Because it's sort of a bit earthy, a bit unspiritual. And so for those that sort of abstain, as it were, are more spiritual within marriage. Well, this is what Paul writes, verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority of her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Paul is tackling head-on their question about the relationship between sex and marriage and their faith in Jesus. And they simply ask Paul, should we abandon sex? And out of this passage, I want to suggest there's two things about the Bible's view of sex which are so life-giving. And the first is this. Sex is a God that will let us down. What's clear in this passage for the ancient people in Greece is that they'd sort of put sex up here to being so important they've got to question it with relation to whether they should or shouldn't be having it. And what's clear here is what's similar in our society, that we've elevated sex to an importance that perhaps it shouldn't be. We so often in our society have made it a god above all gods with a trillion-dollar industry, promising much and yet leaving us longing for so much more. I don't know if you've heard of the film that's out at the moment. Have you heard of this film? Good luck to you, Leo Grande. Uh, it's a film, I've not seen it, uh, but it's starring uh, the British actor, brilliant actor, Emma Thompson. I've not seen the film, but it's causing a bit of a stir because she plays a 60-something retired schoolteacher whose husband has died. And until this point in her life, she would say that her life has been sexually unsatisfactory or unsatisfying. So she, in this film, hires an escort to help her discover what she's not yet experienced. And the film is heralded as a brave, and certainly the emphasis on sexual satisfaction for women is one that still is quite rare. And with all of the sex-positive hope around the film, 
I wonder if it points to something a little bit deeper and perhaps a little bit darker in our society. That our desire for sexual satisfaction, we still elevate it to the God above all gods. As one secular journalist writes about this film, perhaps this film sets middle-aged women up to fail by making everything about us invisible except the sexiness we no longer have. I can't think of a more insidious and contemptuous way of making us disappear. That the message is that your life is inadequate unless you're somehow sexually satisfied, incomplete. It's the God of our age. And it seems to me that as you read around this stuff, there are more and more thinkers beyond, way beyond the church that are beginning to think about this. But because of the sexual liberation of the 50s, 60s and beyond, we've got so much opportunity and yet, and yet, more freedom and yet, the research doesn't suggest that we're more fulfilled or more happy or more content that perhaps the God we live for is actually a slave driver, keeping us striving for more, better, and so on. As another secular author, Christine Ember, in her book Rediscovering Sex, writes this in the Washington Post. In our post-sexual revolution culture, there seems to be a wide agreement among young adults that sex is good, and the more we have of it, the better. That assumption includes the idea that we don't need to be tied to a relationship or marriage, that our proclivities are personal and they're not to be judged by anyone else, not even by our participants. In this landscape, there's only one rule, get consent from your partner beforehand. She goes on, but the outcome is a world in which we're both liberated and miserable. While college scandals and the Me Too movement may have cemented a baseline rule for how to get into bed without crossing legal lines, that hasn't made the experience of dating and finding a partner simple or satisfying. Instead, the experience, she writes, is often sad, unsettling, even traumatic. Today, she says, as we make our way back into the world out of COVID, we need a new ethic because consent is not enough. Or as another author, Catherine Angel, writes, we're always in a moment in which it seems to be tomorrow sex will be good again. In other words, maybe the promise that we've been offered is just not delivering for us. Surely it will be better tomorrow, one day, one day. That with all the opportunities and the lack of barriers in our age, We presume we should be okay, and yet, and yet, left us longing for more because we've made it more important than perhaps it should be. And Judy, in her talk a few weeks back, and I'd recommend if you've not listened to it on singleness to go back through our YouTube channel and look at it. She highlighted a key truth at the center of Christianity is that right at the heart of our faith is a man who is both fully God and fully human, and yet never was in a relationship, was married, had sex, had children, which is hugely liberating for our age, hugely liberating for those of us within the community here who are single, 
Or if life's disappointments uh, is just full of disappointment when it comes to sex. Because at the heart of our faith is the fully human, the pinnacle of what it means to be human, never ever had sex. Part of the gift that I think the church offers the world is to shatter the lie that you're somehow incomplete, substandard, if you're not sexually satisfied. And the same is true of Paul in this passage. He tells these Corinthians, look at it, verse 7, he wishes that they were single like him. Wow. And part of the beauty of the Christian perspective on sex is that it is a gift from God, not a God itself. Now, an application of this, and I want to tread very carefully here, if I can for a moment, is that I wonder if in church circles we've done a lot of harm talking about sex because we've somehow elevated it. And so in this passage, Paul talks about the relationship between a husband and wife and basically says, when you get married, you do belong to each other. You're one. And this is somehow being twisted to say, therefore, the only way to fight sexual temptation is to have more sex. So people might say, if only my wife had sex with me more, I wouldn't need to watch porn. Or if only my husband was more intimate or better communicating with me, I wouldn't be tempted to look elsewhere. Now, Paul's realistic that sex in marriage is important, is crucial. Healthy sex within marriage is a life-giving thing, so important. But that doesn't mean that sinful patterns are justified. And let me read to you a series of tweets, which I found so helpful on this, from someone called Rachel Joy Welcher. This is what she said. Wives, and my hope is this is liberating to some of us. Wives, it is not your job to keep your husband from sinning sexually. You don't have that kind of power. He does through the Holy Spirit. Likewise, husbands, you cannot keep your wives from sinning sexually. You don't have that kind of power. She does through the Holy Spirit. Scripture is clear that every Christian is a new creation, able to say no to sin and find the way of escape through the power of the Spirit, not through the power of married sex. Why does this distinction matter, she says? For a few reasons. One, it's biblical. Two, because spouses are often blamed when their partner cheats. The assumption that is, is that if they'd just given them more sex or satisfied them more, their spouse wouldn't have strayed. That is a lie, a distraction from the true issue and a devastating burden to place on a spouse who's been betrayed. And three, she says, it assumes that sex is the only way to fight sexual sin. What does that say to those who are single? To those who are whittled, widowed, whittled, widowed. To those who are celibate, LGBTQ. The truth is, sexual self-control is a lifelong pursuit. Married or single, gay or straight, happy or unhappy in marriage. And it's up to individuals to pursue that self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, through the power of God, out of love for our fellow image bearers. We don't get to blame anyone else for our sexual sin. We get to look to Christ who paid the price. We get to repent and be forgiven fully and freely. And we get to wake up tomorrow to his mercies, which are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. 
Friends, let's not be people who give sex too much power, too much hold over us. So how do we do that? That's the first thing. The second thing is this. I wonder if, to flip it on its head, the way we release the power is by realizing that sex is actually much more important than our society makes it, which is our second point. Because the Bible points to the truth that sex is not a God, but it is a gift to be cherished. We all know all of us just simply want to be loved for who we are, not what we should be. And perhaps that's the reason sex is such an icon in our era. There's nothing more intimate than being fully known, fully accepted by literally bodily giving of your all. It's a fully orbed way of saying, I give you all of me. There's nothing more intimate, is there? To have sex, in effect, is to say, you are loved as you are. There's a famous quote a few years back from author Douglas Copeland. I love this quote. Fascinating. A reflection of our age. Starved for affection, terrified of abandonment, I began to wonder if sex was really just an excuse to look deeply into another human's eyes. And perhaps that's also the danger of sexual encounters without commitment. Where the intimate acceptance of sex is divorced from the commitment of actually wanting that person with all that they are. Instead, it becomes a transaction. I want the pleasure that you can give me without wanting you. As Cameron Diaz said in the film Vanilla Sky, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? And Paul knows this. 1 Corinthians 7 again. He, he looks at the situation. He says, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, each woman with her husband. The husband should fulfill his marriage duty to his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, and the husband doesn't have authority over his. That's why in the Bible the context for sex is within that mutual commitment within marriage. Outside of that, you don't have the, the promise of full acceptance that sex gives. And inside of marriage, sex is so important because it's a reminder of that commitment a mutual thing, not one getting what they want at the expense of the other. No, together, saying you're fully known and fully loved and fully accepted. And this biblical picture, I think, is so sex positive, so freeing. Because both sex outside of commitment, marriage, and marriage without sex is effectively saying, I want you, but I don't want you. So sex outside of the context of marriage is saying, I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. And marriage without sex is saying, I want you, but I don't want you. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Well, I wonder if it's, as we come to a close, because of how the Bible frames what sex is. Sex is simply an invitation to grace. There's a book that I've put on the blog uh, for those that are married, uh, those that are followers of Jesus and are married, and you know that you've kind of 
being taught wrong things around sex, the church, what the church is, not this church, whatever, but, you know, the, the kind of vibe in the Christian world has not been helpful for you for all sorts of unhelpful reasons. It's a really good book called The Great Sex Rescue. The author says this. Let's stop talking about entitlement, she says. Let's stop talking about rights and hierarchy and power. Let's put Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve, back at the center. It's why when you read like books like The Song of Songs, which is so erotic, and I encourage you, friends, way beyond here, tonight, read Song of Songs chapter 5. And if you don't, if you're not good at innuendo, go where the innuendo goes in your mind, because that is what the passage is talking about. <laughs> and then you say, how on earth the Bible can be negative? It's not. And listen to these words from Paul again in the book of Ephesians about what sex is. Ephesians chapter 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. That is shocking. Sex is a picture of Jesus' commitment to you. In the same way that as you give of yourself in a sexual act, it is fully orbed. You're not holding back. So too, Christ gives completely of himself. Loved as you are. I'm yours, he says. Sex is a picture of the gospel. I remember, if I may speak personally for a moment as we come to a close. Before my wife Claire and I got married, we'd not lived together, uh, and we were chatting about a month or so before we got married and talking with friends who weren't Christians, and they couldn't understand why we'd not done that. And as we talked about our reasons for it and some of this stuff, you could see the look on his face was, don't get ideas, <laughs> to his girlfriend. And her face began to wonder that there was something other about getting married. And I remember her words as she simply said, wow, that's amazing. That's why in the Bible, the act of idolatry, chasing after other gods, is so often linked back to the idea of adultery. Because he's given his all for us, and we just go off chasing someone else. Friends, the picture of sex in the Bible is one of utter grace. So whether your life is one that's fulfilled or not, whether your circumstances are what you wish they were, whether single, married, not yet married, were married, hope to one day be married, whatever it might be, sex is a picture of God's commitment to humanity. Fully accepted, fully loved, where he gives of himself in all its fullness, for you with your brokenness, for me with my brokenness, and says, I'm yours. Grace.